Amen. Praise the Lord. All morning in the singing, I've just been rejoicing in the sacrifice of Christ, the completeness of his sacrifice for us, and the way God sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. What a what encouraging song service. I'm grateful for it. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, if you'll be finding that in your Bible. Good to see you today. Good to have guests with us today, a number of guests. Good to have the uh, Taylor family visiting with, with us from Wisconsin. If we were giving a prize, which we're not, for the visitor who came the longest distance, hands down, you'd get it. Joel and Renee Taylor, we're familiar with their church. Our church supports uh, um, John Reddick and Emily Reddick in the Czech Republic, and their church uh, have done some outreach uh, coordination with them, supplying literature and things there. We're grateful for their church and their fellowship. We're going to pray in a moment after we read, but let's remember to pray for Brother Justin Hoke as he's preaching today out at Countryside Baptist, filling the pulpit there, and we're glad that we're able to help with that. Philippians chapter 2, let's stand together if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word. Again, it's so good to be home today, good to see you. You know, as your pastor, uh, I think often about the challenges that we all face, but I'm especially thinking about younger people uh, in a world that's becoming increasingly pagan and ungodly and worldly. Uh, I've really been reminded of this as we've had graduation ceremonies recently. We had one here uh, Wednesday night and, and just and then thinking about the family. And I think every parent here, who, especially those who have children at home, younger children, uh, are concerned about the world that our children are growing up in. And the passage we're going to read today just provides some truths that I hope will be helpful to us today. We're going to begin reading in verse 14, if you'd look there with me. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14. We find these words, Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. The sentence continues into verse 16, holding forth the word of life. Paul writes, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. You know, Paul loved the church in Philippi, and he refers to these church members in verse 15 as the sons of God. But not just the sons of God as far as their identity, but the world they lived in. He called it in verse 15 a crooked and perverse world. And in that, he admonishes them to do what? To shine as lights in the world. And I want to speak on this subject for a while this morning. The sons of God in a wicked world. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to own a copy of the Bible. To be able to read the Bible and study the Bible. And have your words, Father, for us. We want to receive with meekness today the engrafted word which is able to save the soul. We want to be fed by the word and strengthened by the word, edified, encouraged by the word, perhaps even reproved by the word, 
But we want your word today, God, to have free course among us. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Wherever he went, Paul invested his life in others. Uh, he wasn't just preaching sermons. We could take the Bible if we wanted to today and find passages like his epistle to the Thessalonians, where he talked about his love for those people. And he wanted his ministry, his life to matter. He wanted assurance that if you look in verse 16, the latter part of verse 16, that he had not run his race in vain, neither labored in vain. Vain means emptiness, worth, worthlessness, and frustration, and, and no value. He said, I, if I could paraphrase, he said, I just, I just want to know that all that I've done over these years has not been wasted. I and, and look what he says in verse 16, that right prior to that he says, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. He knew he had said one day, stand before the Lord and give an account for his life, and he wanted to be able to rejoice that God had used him like we heard the song a moment ago. You know, we don't have any righteousness of our own. We live to serve the Lord, but we want God to use it for his honor and for his glory. So I'm going to take this passage today, and, and I just want to spend a little time on three different aspects of what we find in our text. And the first one is our identity in verse 15. He says to the church members there at Philippi, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God. The sons of God. These weren't, Paul didn't look at these young people or spiritually in their spiritual youth here in Philippi as his children, but also God's children, the sons of God. And I want you to just think with me today. I know this because I'm, I have the same tendency sometimes. I know this, that sometimes we hear something so often it sort of loses its majesty to us. But this is a wonderful reality. This is an amazing reality that we, though we're saved, are God's children. Amen. Isn't that an amazing thing? We were talking about, uh, the, this couple here was talking about getting saved fairly recently. It's just amazing that God, God would adopt us into his family. That he would transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. That we, think about this, young person, think about this. We mortals, sinful humans, can be a part of God's family. And when a person is born again, God becomes their father. And they are his child. Think about that. I thank God for my earthly family, but we have another family. And God is our father. Hold your finger here in Philippians. I want to look at two very familiar passages just to sort of underscore this. We'll be right back to Philippians 2. But go first of all to the Gospel of John. And I hope that you'll take this to heart. John chapter 1. And think about these words as we read a few verses here. I said familiar words, but still so powerful. John chapter 1 and verse 11, talking about Christ. He came unto his own. He came to his own family. He came to his own people. He came to the nation of Israel. He came to the world that he actually created. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Many of them rejected him. Verse 12, John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Amen. 
the children of God, even to them that believe on His name. They don't become the sons of God because they earn it or deserve it or get religious. They become the sons of God because they believe on the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. They trust in Christ for their salvation. Verse 13 continues that sentence, which were born, these, these children of God, these sons of God, which were born not of blood, it wasn't an earthly, natural birth alone, or of the will, nor of the will of the flesh, not because they did it on their own, nothing, nothing they acquired, nor of the will of man. They were born not of those things, but they were born of God. What a wonderful thing it is to be saved, amen? amen. To know that God is your Father. And by the way, he'll never reject his children. We're his eternal sons and daughters. Look at one other passage. The same author, but a different epistle. 1 John. If you turn way back near the back of your Bible, you have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, then Jude and Revelation. So in 1st John, I want to look in chapter 3 and just read two verses, again, that echo this sentiment. 1st John chapter 3. In verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. He came into His own, His own received Him not. We read it a moment ago. When a person gets saved, they have a different relationship with the world, and the world has a different relationship with them. And I say this for a purpose. You'll see it in a little bit. What we would, it's an honor that we'd be called the sons of God. Verse 2, beloved, now, present tense, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What hope we have. We're, we're, we're present. If you're saved today, you're present tense in the moment, a child of God. As much a child of God as if you were in heaven already. It does not yet appear what we shall be. We're, we're a work in progress, but we're still his children. And it'll not be finished, consummated until we see him. And when we see him, we will be like him. Thank God for that. Go back to Philippians chapter 2, if you would, please. Paul, writing to this church at Philippi, referred to them as the sons of God. You know, before I mentioned our relationship to the world, before I was saved, I felt very much at home in this world. I, I was a natural man. The Bible calls us a saved person a natural man. I just, we were natural creatures. But the more we live for Christ, the more we are concerned about His will, the more we understand His will for us, the more we realize we're, at, we're not in sync with this world. It's an old song, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Now, for a person who's not saved, they can understand this is the only world they know to live for. This is the only world they can relate to. But when you get saved, you think about your forever home. So he speaks of them, first of all, as their sons of God. And I just want to say this before I go for, further. I know it's a real possibility that there are people here today who've never been born again, who've never really been saved, who don't know what it is to, to have Christ save your life, forgive your sins, 
make you a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I want to tell you today, the greatest thing that you could ever do with your life is to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Without Him, you don't have heaven to look forward to. And without Him, you don't have His companionship in life. You need Him. You, need, you don't need religion. You need Him. You need to be born again. You need Christ in your life. That you could say, I know I'm not perfect, but I know that I'm God's child. That God is my Father. That I'm going to heaven one day. That perfect place He's prepared for us and is preparing for us. And today, you could be saved right where you sit. You could be saved by putting your faith and trust in what Christ did on Calvary's cross for you. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want to be saved? Why wouldn't a person want their sins forgiven? Why wouldn't a person want to know that heaven is going to be their home? And don't think for a moment you or I or anybody else could do enough to earn heaven. Jesus did it all for us. He took our sins upon his own body on a tree. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin. And if you're today and you're not saved, you're not sure you're saved, I hope this sort of embeds itself into your thinking today. I need to receive Christ. I need to know that I'm going to heaven. So we see that he refers to them as the sons of God. And then he refers also to this place where we spend our lives, our earthly lives. Verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Now that's the way Paul described the world he lived in and the world that the Philippians lived in. Crooked and perverse. Twisted. Perverted. Corrupt. You say, man, that seems negative. I'm being as positive as I know how. <laughs> the morals, the values, the language, the behavior of this world is twisted compared to what God wants for our life. We can't defend it. And but by the way, we shouldn't, it shouldn't surprise us that sinners act like sinners because that's what they are. That's what we were. Such were some of you, right? But God has forgiven us. God has changed us. But the, the world is crooked and perverse. He used a word there in verse 15. Blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. When we think of the word nation, we think of our nationality. We think of our country of origin, our country where we reside. But the word there, nation, kind of defines not just a country, but an age, an era, a time. A generation. The world, Paul said, the world we're living in, he said this to the church, the world we're living in is a wicked world. Now aren't we glad today that the world is no longer wicked? <laughs> Reality is it's no less wicked. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches this, that the nearer we come, the closer we get, to the end of this life, this world as we know, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the more evil things are going to become. I hope I don't need to prove that to you today. It's a reality. They're going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. 
That's what the Bible says. I know some people look at it and say, we're all evolving into this utopia and it's all going to get better, but that's not based on what the Bible says. The Bible says it's going to get more and more wicked. That doesn't mean people aren't going to get saved. It's not going to mean they're going to be, not going to be good churches. It just means the further we get down this journey, the more corrupt the world is. All right, we've been, for those of you who are guests, we've been studying off and on uh, some messages on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights for about end times, the eschatology, what's going to be like in the end. And you look at it. This is the Bible's record. God gave his prophets revelation about what it's going to be like. You say, well, I don't know if you can trust them. Every, every prophecy that's ever been prophesied has come truth. When Jesus will be born, as far as where he'd be born, and the city he'd be born in, the circumstances, all that stuff has been prophesied. They, and they prophesied about the future. And this is what it says, deception will just grow more and more. Multitudes of people, eventually, eventually, the entire world basically will reject truth. That's where we're headed. This is what it'll be like. It'll be like the days of Noah. Jesus said that. So wicked that God destroyed the whole world, except for Noah and his family. So it'll be, Jesus said it'll be like the days of Lot, that God... Let them get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he rained fire and brimstone and destroyed. That's what it's going to be like. It's not going to get better and better. Young person, if you're thinking that somehow the world in the future is going to get better, you're mistaken. Parents of small children, if you're thinking that somehow in a generation or two everything's just going to get ironed out, I'm thinking, I think we need to get back to thinking biblically. And it's going to get worse. International universal blasphemy until eventually, of course Christians will be taken out of here, but eventually all that dwell on the earth will worship the devil and worship evil. So the condition of the world is not improving. Paul calls it here a crooked and perverse nation and warns them about this, gives them some insight about this. The, the, the condition of the world is not just staying the same. It's not static. It's worsening. I look around this room and I see some people like myself who've been around for a little while. We've witnessed, firsthand witnessed, more of this than sometimes younger people. And young, when you're young, you grow up and think, well, it's just always been this way. And then you have old people like us to say, well, we, we lived a little longer. It hadn't always been this way. It's changing dramatically. It's changing swiftly. It ought to be obvious. We can't change, or we can't stop the world from changing, but we can stop ourselves from changing. And that's really one of the warnings that Paul gives the church here in Philippi, not to become like them. I, I watch with, with dismay at how the world is changing professing Christians, changing churches. My wife and I were doing something the other day. We we're going somewhere and we we're talking about trends and fads. And we were remembering um, a, a fad back in the 60s and 70s, bell-bottom blue jeans. Y'all know what I'm talking about? These aren't just slightly, these aren't boot-cut jeans. <laughs> They're boot-cut jeans on steroids. I mean, if, if ever there was a silly style, this was silly, ridiculous, yet we wore them. 
You know why we wore them? Because everybody's wearing them. Right? It's cool. Everybody else is doing it, so we, we do it. Wasn't long after that, I went back to my regular Levi's, though, thankfully. Another thing about the way we follow trends, I'm just going to give you some examples. It has to do with jeans. I, I counted up, I have six or seven pairs of jeans in my closet. I know it seems like I'm wealthy to have that many jeans, but they're all the same cut, virtually the same size, all the same style, but they're three different categories of jeans. One, I have one pair of jeans that's almost like new, and I've had it for nearly a year, but I only wear it for special occasions. <laughs> Most of the bulk of my jeans are in a category of, of various stages of fading. I wear them around the house. I wear them if I go to the store. I wear them here for work day at church. Various stage of fading. When one, when one is in the first category, it gets too faded, it goes to the middle category. When one gets so worn in the middle category, it goes to the third category when they're so faded that I only wear them working around the house, working outside, working on dirty jobs. They even have some tears in them. When they get big holes in them, I discard them. Those pants I throw away are like many pants that people go and buy. <laughs> I ought to start selling them. <laughs> Regift them. Why would someone pay for a pair of jeans that are ripped up? I'll tell you why. Because everybody in the world says it's fashionable. Why would women, why would women wear spiked heels four or five inches tall? We know why, because they're comfortable. <laughs> Some people walk in them good. Some people look like they're walking on stilts for the first time. Why would someone do that? Because it's fashionable. Now I'm using these simple examples of how the world shapes our thinking. Why would a person, why would a person hang, put a piece of jewelry on their eyelid? Worse than that, on their tongue. It's comfortable. It makes it easier to eat your cereal. Now, you know why people do things? Because the world says so. Now, you could look at that, and I'm not, I'm not saying we ought to look at everybody that wears faded jeans or cut-up jeans or then say those people are wicked. I'm just saying, the whole point of this is this. The world can shape us. You know why, these, why we do things? It's because, because the world says it's good to do it that way. That's why we talk the way we do sometimes. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we wear the things we wear. Because the world has a way of shaping us. And these, the things I mentioned, and they are kind of humorous, these matters of fashion or style is one thing, but the truth is the world is a system that's against God. We shouldn't let the world determine or dictate what we do. John said this, Love not the world. Think about that. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. And then a very broad statement. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Satan is the God of this world. And it's important that we understand how to relate to our world. That does not mean if the, 
if the glass, the way glasses look change and we might change, that's one thing. But it's another thing when the world is shaping our values. And that's the third thing I want to look at in our text. The first one has to do with we, us being the sons of God. The second one has to do with the world that we live in. It's a crooked and perverse world. And it's foolish. It's unwise. It's naive for us to think, well, the world's just going to get better. No, it's not. So what are we to do then? Notice what he says in verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke. In the midst, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You know what we're to do? We're to shine as lights in a dark world. That's what God, we're to live as the children of God. We're not to let the world shape us. We're not to let the world dictate how we're to live and what our values should be. We're to live as the sons of God. He, and he lists some things here. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Our character, our attitude should reflect our faith. I greatly enjoyed being in the teen department today. And we talked about that passage in Matthew where Jesus teaches about the wheat and the tares. And the wheat and the tares look alike. And in the text it's clear, and the young people saw this from the text. The only thing that eventually distinguishes the wheat from the tares is the fruit. It's the fruit in their life. And as Christians, if we look like the world, live like the world, act like the world, talk like the world and the world looks at us, what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, there's no difference. There ought to be a distinction. There ought to be a difference. We're to live as the sons of God. Our, our character should be different. Our attitude should be different. Our values should be different. He uses the language here in verse 15 that, they, that you may be blameless and harmless. The word blameless means above reproach. Harmless means pure and innocent. That's how we're to live. And if you're thinking, well, I, I'm a Christian and I don't think it really matters how I live, I don't think you can defend that position with the Bible. It does matter. We ought to be careful about our testimony. We're the sons of God. We, our, our, our behavior should re represent our Heavenly Father. We're His children. We should be committed to living lives of obedience to God for our sake, but also for the world's sake. Jesus said this, or excuse me, James, James said this. If any man, think about this, just think, let this soak in. If any man be the friend of the world, he's the enemy of God. You know, we ought to think about our relationship to the world and how we view the world. I, I love life. I'm not saying we should be miserable creatures. I love life. I enjoy life. I enjoy God's creation. I enjoy serving the Lord. We enjoy family and friends. All fellowship, we enjoy all that. But we're not a friend of this world. And I think parents need to really think this through. Do my, are my children learning from us that we are not to be friends 
of the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. Jesus prayed that in John chapter 17. Our words, our conduct, our lifestyle should be distinctive. And I want to just say to you today, personally and for our church and for believers in general, we need a real revival in our day. A revival of love for God and a love for the Word of God. A revival of commitment and devotion to God's Word. A revival of holiness. We, we need revival. We don't need to be like the world. We need, to, we need to live for God. I don't mean we need to just try to be obnoxious and distinctive just for the sake of being different. But we ought to let God shape our thinking and shape our values. And there's one last thing here in this chapter, or this passage I want to look at that we can do for the corrupt world we live in. Look in verse 16. Holding forth the word of life. This is what he said to them. Hold forth the word of life. That word hold forth doesn't just mean like hold it out like it's a flag. It means to give attention to, elevating it. The word of, what we know what the word of life is. It's the word of God. We're to be guided by the Word of God. We're to declare the gospel of Christ. We have the good news. If we're silent about it, how are they going to know? You know, it's, it's not uncommon for those of us who are Christians and even preachers for us to, to lambast the world and the, the appearances of the world, the values of the world. But like I said, they're, they're unsaved. The, the God of this world is the devil we ought to point out things that we need to do differently, but, but as importantly, we need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. We're to declare the gospel. We're to stand for the principles of the word of God. We're to be salt and light. That's what Jesus said. In a darkening culture, you know, it's, it's sort of being repetitious, but if we love and mimic the world, how, what kind of influence can we expect to have with the world? Our job is not to please the world. Our job is to please our Father. Our job is to please God. So as I read this passage in Philippians 2, it's very hopeful to me and, and helpful to me. It has direction. We are God's children living in an increasingly godless world. How are we to live? How are we, are we just to live like the world? Are we, to, are we to just to follow along, you know, with whatever they say? Go along to get along? No, we're not to do that. We're to live as the sons of God. We're God's children. God is my Father. We're to shine His lights in the world. Let your light so shine before men, Jesus said. Ye are the light of the world. Think about this. You are the light of the world. You are. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, I said to you, uh, that I was teaching about the wheat and the tares this morning, and I, and I, and I asked the young people from the text, when can you tell the wheat from the tares. And they knew the answers. It's when they start to produce fruit. Believers produce fruit. Wheat produces fruit. Tares are just weeds. And then I asked them, what kind of fruit do you think should be in a Christian's life that others could see that? 
And they had a lot of really good answers. They don't wear bell-bottom jeans. No, no, they didn't say those things. They talked about our attitude, our love for God, and those kinds of our respect for others. They ought to see that there's a difference in our life. We ought to shine His lights in the world. I don't like to see the world getting more corrupt and more twisted, but believe me, it is. You know it's true. So with all that being said, I'm going to invite you this morning to do two things. First of all, if you're not saved, as a child of God, you ought to come to Christ today. You need the Lord. You need Him. And, and I'm going to be standing right down here in a little bit. If you're a guest, if you're a member here, if you come often, if your family comes here, if you're by yourself, but if you're here and you say, I just don't really know that I'm going to go to heaven, but I want to know. I'm going to be standing right here. You could come right to me and someone could take a Bible and spend some time with you and help you make the most important spiritual decision you'll ever make. You say, well, what, what do my friends or family think? Forget about what your friends and family think. Let's think about what God thinks. I hope you'll come today. And if you are saved, I want you to encourage you to join me in begging God to help us be shining lights in this world. Not be shaped by this wicked world. We, we ought to evaluate our values, evaluate our our words evaluate our lifestyle, our behavior, our habits, our activities, our, our leisure. We ought to evaluate everything by what God says is good for us, not what the world says. And if you don't think like that, you're missing a very important part of being a Christian. We're not going to be shaped by the world we live in. But there's a second part of that. Let's ask God to help us to be the lights that we ought to be in our world. Holding forth the word of life. I closed the lesson today to the teens by asking them this question. Do you think it would be different if everybody that you know that professes to be saved lived all the time like they were living for Christ and living for God. Wouldn't that make a difference? It wouldn't make a difference. We ought to, every one of us, by the grace of God, let our lights shine for, for Christ. And we ought to determine by the grace of God, I'm not going to let the world shape me. I won't let God's word shape me. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. With our heads bowed today, I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're going to have some piano playing. What about you today? What about your lifestyle? I, I quote that often quoted. phrase or hypothetical question, if someone were to accuse you of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? There should be. There should be. 
If you're saved, would you join me today in just praying for revival, praying for God to work in his people, in our lives, in our church. Help us to be the shining lights we should be. If you're not saved, I urge you to come. Our fathers, we pray today. I just want to thank you for your word and thank you for this very uh, timely admonition in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Advice for living in a perverted, twisted, wicked world. Lord, we live in one. You know that. God, help us to be encouraged today to follow you, to live for you, to serve you, to let the light that you put in us shine through us. I pray for that. God, I pray today if there are those who aren't saved, that today the word of God and the spirit of God would bring conviction they might turn to Christ. While folks are praying today with our heads bowed and the piano plays